Today, we are not just announcing a new government and new ministers, we are announcing a new politics. A new politics, that's what they're promising us, but what we'll get is still very uncertain. I am Allegra Stratton. And I'm Tom Clark, and I can at least promise you a new Politics Weekly. Joining us round the table to pick through the new coalition and their new political promises or compromises are the creme de la creme of the Guardian Commentariat. We have Jonathan Friedland, Seamus Milne and Julian Glover. Very quickly, what are we calling them? Libservatives? Conrats? Well, if you're hostile, you call them condemns, which is what the uh, mirror's going for. Because uh, condemnation. For condemnation. Um, and that may, may uh, ring. You could call them the lib con. That's also if you're hostile. Con rats is quite hostile well, too, isn't it? Lib con more hostile than con lib. Because it's the great con, you know. It's like the great the liberal con. con, right? The lib con. What's the friendly version? And well, Cameron himself, it's very interesting, he constantly puts the Liberal before the Conservative. You notice he called it this Liberal Democrat Conservative Coalition, so he wants the emphasis on the Liberal. It's like calling the butler sir. <laughs> <laughs> Julian, Julian, what are you, what, Julian, what's the shorthand around this office? Oh, I think we should call it the Coalition, and, and when I type it, I keep writing Coalition instead. So. <laughs> All right. Um, Johnny, did you ever think you would see this, what we saw yesterday, the big, the big love-in, capital L, capital Well, in I. a way, we, you know, I hadn't thought about it much, but that's a lack of imagination on my part, because we did all know and predict and expect a hung parliament, and hung parliaments mean coalition. So in a way, we shouldn't be so shocked. And I did think some of the broadcasters were going to over-hyperbole mode, saying this is truly extraordinary ground-shaking. In a way, it's a, it did happen in 1974. It is a function, or, or you know, hung parliament at least happened in the 70s, and it is a function of what happens if there's a deadlocked election. So it shouldn't be that shocking. Uh, I think you know, for tr- also didn't they were sort of saying you know um, that it's like seeing old sworn enemies with each other. Some I think mm. Newsnight showed pictures of uh, Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin as if that <laughs> image is just a shocking. And it just isn't. I mean, the Lib Dems and the Conservatives are not sworn enemies. Yeah. For shock value, you know, Ian Paisley, Martin McGuinness in coalition that was shocking. To me, Nick Clegg and David Cameron, they're not that far apart. It's just an arrangement. I, I don't feel that, you know, the earth's not moving for me. Certainly different, though, isn't it, Julian? I mean, like, 1974 wasn't like this. No, and it didn't work then. The maths didn't work. I, I, it's not shocking intellectually. I think it's shocking that Cameron was brave mm. enough to do it. I, I mm. thought that there'd be a bit of squabbling. They might have a coalition. And in the end, we get confidence and supply in that rather boring phrase. And we sort of drift along. And not have this As sunny said yesterday, in the garden. So uninspiring. It was yes. It's a bit like he was choosing a new sofa, and he decided to go for the daring <laughs> pattern and not just get the ordinary sort of leather one. Is it shocking, Seamus, that um, on the Liberal Democrat um, among the D- Liberal Democrat MPs there was no dissent, and as far as we know, on the Federal Committee of the Liberal Democrats, there was only one person, an Etonian, no less, who uh, who said no. I think that that is a bit surprising, but I mean, as I think Julian would argue, you know, that, uh, correctly, that the Lib Dems are a very mixed bag, which include which has a left and a right wing. Um, but I mean, you would I think have expected a bit more resistance from the left, and I think you know the the events of the day and the logic of the situation obviously drove them in that way. But I mean, there's, there's clearly going to be splits and splinters in the in the months and years to come. We're going to talk about that later. But Julian, in terms of this this five year fixed term Parliament, obviously that's one of the concessions that they. I, I don't actually think it was a concession because I think Cameron was heading that way anyway. Does it actually last the five years? How do, how do you see it panning out? If you can give us a kind of... Well, they'd love it to. They'd love it to because they don't think they can win an election straight yeah. away. Um, Neither, both... Uh, all, I mean, I mean the things, that could, break, would, though, things that could break it up, obviously, arouse, big fallout, some great global event we didn't expect, or a poll rating for one of the parties that suggests they could win alone, um, presumably the Conservatives. So all of those could put pressure. The fixed-term parliament idea is actually something Cameron likes. He mm. wrote a column for The Guardian um, about five years ago saying he wanted them. I don't know why he's so keen. Maybe Werner Bogdanov gave him tutorials in it at Oxford and he's remembered them. But there is 
some sort of clarity now. If they'd formed a coalition and not said how long it would last, we'd all be sitting here saying, oh, how long is it going to go on for? Is it a short-term deal? Is it a long-term deal? They had to come up with a date, even if they don't themselves believe the date will happen. Clegg has got this big role of delivering all sorts of political reforms, particularly on that sort of AV electoral system change. Will he, will he pull that off? Well, there's a lot to get through the Lords and a lot to get through the Commons. And, and, and this document did contain all sorts of promises, each of which could be a massive piece of legislation. And we've seen from Labour that had a solid majority in the Commons for 13 years how hard it is, even when they want to do it, to get these things through. The details suddenly become really complex. Even little things like local government finance reform listed there as an mm. afterthought. That, you know, is that poll tax mark too? That's extraordinary. So Clegg's going to have to pick which ones he wants to do first. He can't do them all. Um, Johnny, can we just talk for a moment about who's in and who's out, you know, the new cabinet? Does that mm. suggest that um, a liberal moment is upon us? Uh, yeah, well, yes and no, I would have thought. I mean, um, the, 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 the um, Lib Dems have got some jobs, and that's very good for their self-esteem, but they don't have the big departments of state. That I mean, that, uh, people did think, I think, that Chris Hewn might be Home Secretary. There was talk of Nick Clegg as Foreign Secretary. None of that has happened. They are solid Tories in all the big jobs. You know, Vince Cable, who's uh, you know, about as big a beast as you get in Lib Dem terms, he gets to be uh, uh, in effect, we've, as far as the Guardian's reporting is concerned, an underling of George Osborne, it seems. And we don't know who's going to be in charge of the banks, really, do we? No, I mean, there, there's, there is this dispute and, and, and I thought, and we, the Guardian reported it as the first cracks, the first domestic in this new uh, marriage, uh, but it did seem as if the Lib Dems were on the losing end of that, and that's a loss of status and prestige uh, for Osborne. Uh, you know, David Law's agreeing to be the guy who gets the blame the for the spending cuts. cuts the public mm. face of cuts exactly their fingerprints chief all over the acts because Just he's chief secretary to the treasury so i don't think they got great uh, jobs in the carve up the fact that um Clegg has, has not got a ministry. It's good that he's in charge of political reform. But, you know, I think the lesson of John Prescott was a deputy prime minister has influence when he has money to spend, a budget and a department and junior ministers. I don't think we've got any of that likely. Maybe they'll have some uh, constitutional affairs minister or something under him. So, no, I don't think they've done brilliantly well on the posts. And, and you can see a lot of very clever footwork for the Tories in that. I mean, having Ian Duncan Smith there in work and pensions, that will be a bone so to, to, the, to, the, to the right, um, to the Tory right who want to feel represented there. Uh, so a series of clever moves in there Just for one final very quick question Has the time come for quotas to ensure more women at the top? In selection for Parliament, yes In anything, I mean it's very bad bad stage of Well Cameron would agree with that And I think what he would want to do is promote women in the first reshuffle Because this Parliament does have more women in it And at Tory benches have a lot more women You couldn't put them said, in the Cabinet at the start why, why not now? I mean, he's, because well, you couldn't enter Parliament before, Become a Minister in the Cabinet Before you even had your maiden speech It doesn't work well when you do that he didn't have to do that. He, the, this is also a question not just to address to Cameron. It's to Nick Clegg, who has almost no women yeah. and zero ethnic uh, minority representation. And who's uh, done less about it than the Tory party. doesn't seem worried about it. It's true. At least Cameron uh, has the grace to be worried about it. Clegg hasn't done anything on it. And you do think, I mean, Kath Viner wrote a piece in, in our paper saying, if you're going to have a who he, Danny Alexander, who no one's heard of, why not a who she and Sarah Tether? I'm sure more people have heard of. But so she's not Scottish. <laughs> he could, no, he could have found another job to ask to just her for. Okay, for more on the details of the nuts and bolts of who's got what job and how this government is going to work, head to guardian.co.uk forward slash politics. Well, let's go back to this 
idea of liberalism, which is supposed to be the animating one for the new government, but is there anything to it? Well, you can define liberal in any direction you want. As we're fast finding as out. We, as, as we find in The Guardian. So, so for some people, it's certainly not the liberal moment. It's the horrific non-liberal moment. I, I think it is a kind of liberalism, and I think there is a sort of liberal conservatism, which in elements Cameron also represents. So this is not just liberalism being bolted onto conservatism. I think there is an element of shared ideology here. It's not the kind of liberalism that most Labour people would see as liberal, a state that's very active in trying to promote equality and trying to intervene and redistribute money. And, and that is a different kind of liberalism. And this government isn't going to have that as its priority. It will have the individual, maybe the community, but the individual as its prime element of society. That's a really different philosophical position to Labour. And I think it is a liberal position. It doesn't always make it a nice world, but I think it could be a different world. For me, it might be a better world. Seamus, do you have any regrets that The Guardian endorsed the Lib Dems at the election? Well, I didn't agree with the uh, leader, and I think it was a mistake. I mean, I think it was a mistake for The Guardian because I think the, clear, the best position for The Guardian to take would have been a, a Lib Lab position and uh, to understand that the only way you could get the kind of coalition and the kind of government that was plausible and that The Guardian wanted was to... Um, increase the Labour vote uh, substantially across the country. Um, and that, if that had happened more, I mean, it happened, there was a bit of a sort of pullback at the end of the campaign. If that had happened more, um, there might have been the kind of coalition that uh, I think most Guardian readers um, would have M- much would have so wanted. I love Guardian editorials. I, I don't think the fact that we didn't call for a Labour vote no, was the reason they got, below, Labour. <laughs> they got below 30%. No, the second worst result since in, 1918. Interestingly, Guardian readers uh, voted um, Labour more uh, than in uh, 2005. I mean, there and, Says uh, one instant survey. Yeah. But, um, Jonathan, Clegg had to deal with the cards that the electorate dealt him, not that, not that the Guardian dealt him. And aren't we seeing in things like this increase in capital gains tax, in the fact that there's nothing in this draft programme about abolishing the Human Rights Act, um, and uh, in the fact that the Tories' inheritance tax giveaway has gone. Aren't we seeing all kinds of things where liberal values are kind of making an imprint on what would otherwise have been a more rapidly conservative government? I think that's definitely right. I mean, it is, he is there as a restraining and taming influence and that uh, there is a view that's exactly what David Cameron wanted. David Cameron was worried about being dragged rightward by the right of his own party uh, and that actually in some ways, and I've spoken to a few in his sort of uh, close circle, who admit they were pretty chuffed uh, by the election result and by the out- and certainly by this outcome of the coalition. So this the was new certainly- Clause 4 moment you the, were talking well, about. Well, I've suggested that because what he's had done here is he's challenged the sort of party faithful in the, among the Tories by going with the Liberals. That's a shock equivalent uh, to the uh, rewriting of Clause 4 for the, for the Labour faithful. But a lot uh, more and a substantial. Big move, and one that asks the electorate, look at us differently, we're now centrists. And it is more substantial because it's about a government, it's not about one line in a party document. So it's a huge thing. Um, and I think that, but there were, I, I'm now of the view that there were Tories who, if they had been asked to choose, uh, this is the people right around Cameron, between a majority of say 20 and this, they would definitely choose this. Uh, a majority of 100, they'd have loved that, but that wasn't ever on the cards. So they like this because they think this potentially, and this, this, I think Labour have to think hard about this, are, there is the potential here for a huge realignment of British politics, for David Cameron to, in some lasting way, redefine, not just rebrand in a kind of short-term way, but redefine what place the Tories occupy. What do you make of Julian's argument, though, about um, there is something new and interesting here in terms of liberal conservatism? The stuff we saw on civil liberties yesterday, a lot of it's fuzzy. We don't know what it means yet. Lots of reviews. But the fact that the government is acknowledging there can be a problem with unregulated CCTV, would you have got that out of a Labour or even a Liberal Labour coalition? No, well, I think you probably would out of a Liberal Labour coalition. The Liberal Dem 
Jones probably would have done performed the same kind of taming role there, uh, and in, in, although it would have had a different quality um, there, there would the, have been almost reassuring Labour, look, it's okay yeah. to do this. Labour got itself into this authoritarianism in the new Labour period, which uh, I think was born of just a, a reaction to the 1980s, fear of being monstered by the Daily Mail as being soft on crime, etc. And it led them down this endless road of, of authoritarianism, disastrous for that party. Uh, and and the, uh, the humbling point about what's, what's going on in this coalition is there are things there that many, many Labour people would have wanted and Labour didn't do. There's, there's some truth to that, but I, I get a bit tired of hearing Labour people say it's always the Daily Mail that's bullied the Labour government into doing this. It's also based on Labour's strong belief in the state and the power of authority. People like Jack Straw were not bowing to the Daily Mail. They were bowing to the kind of government they want. And Ed Miliband, who is not at all liberal on civil liberties, although he's an interesting and progressive man on many things, he doesn't intellectually believe in the civil liberties agenda. It's not just that he, Ed Miliband's not terrified of the tabloid press. He doesn't secretly want to do all this. They like it. People like David Blunkett liked this stuff. Labour wanted to do it, and they did it, and it was wrong, and that's going to stop. And that is a really, really good change. But one I of mean, the I things think there are, there are, there are two parts of Labour's coalition, the social authoritarian and the civil libertarian uh, part, and those have existed since the foundation of the Labour Party, and at different periods, you know, one has been more prominent than the other. Obviously, in the 60s, for example, the, uh, the civil libertarian part was more mm. prominent. I think what's going to happen now is that because the uh, the Tories and Lib Dems are in government, uh, that Labour in opposition will be able to reclaim that territory, and I think that would be a positive thing for itself and for the, for the country as well. Mm. It would be great to see if, if, if the Labour Party votes with Nick Clegg and the Conservative Party on some of these reforms, and we have actually a parliamentary widespread agreement that this agenda that the government pursued for 13 years was wrong, and we can unwind from it. I mean, I think we, we've, in this discussion we've slightly missed a crucial point, which Julie maybe touched on, but is that you know, we, when we're talking about the Lib Dems, you know, there is an important part of the Lib Dem Party which is now in control of it, which is the right-leaning economic liberal part, the, the orange book part, that really does overlap quite heavily uh, with what Julian calls liberal conservatism. Liberal conservatism. I mean, you know, in terms of free markets and privatisation and all these kind of issues that have been so neuralgic uh, during the Labour government, you know, the, the right wing of the, of the Lib Dems are in, fa- in favour of those things, um, in favour of that whole sort of neoliberal agenda. And uh, I think, in a way, that the problem for them now, and this is true for the government as a whole, is that, you know, that agenda has been heavily discredited by the events of the past two years, and yet they're still locked into it. And of course, there'll be many people in the Lib Dem party who will be opposed to it when it comes to the crunch. Just to bring it back to our position as a paper, what would be the sort of things that a LibCon government might do over the next year that we just simply couldn't support? Well, I think the first thing that we've seen is that, is that you know, the Lib Dems have been drawn into the harder line hawkish uh, Tory cuts agenda, despite having you know, fought an election saying they would oppose early cuts, they've immediately um, capitulated to it. I mean, interestingly, from the reports of the negotiations with the Labour Party, David Laws was saying that he wanted that anyway, um, that he wanted the cuts brought forward anyway. Um, so I think that is going to be the crucial issue of the coming months. I mean, you know, what, what we need to remember is that if the if there had been a minority Tory government, I think the Tories would have been keen to postpone cuts until after the election so that any pain was felt late, later on. But now the opposite applies because they intend they, they plan to be in government for some time. They've got a stable majority, as it looks at the moment. They will want to front-end load the cuts, and I think that's going to be the crisis to come. I, well, I don't think it would be a crisis, but I think it would be something the Guardian would oppose. I think that ties to a wider issue which you touched on before, which is the debate now is, is about government. Do you basically think government is a good and big thing and you want it stronger, or do you think it's a problem? This government will look at the state as a problem. 
and want it to be smaller and want it to cost less. Labour presumably will say the opposite, and that is the fundamental divide in politics now. Well, we'll go seamlessly on to the Labour Party. Yesterday, David Miliband threw his hat into the ring. I'm standing for the leadership because I believe that I can lead Labour to rebuild itself as the great reforming champion of social and economic change in this country. It's a race with only one runner so far, but he says he'd welcome other competition. The one thing we do know is that it's likely to be a contest for the next generation because the two senior Labour contenders, or would-be contenders, Alan Johnson and Harriet Harman, have categorically ruled themselves out of contention. Um, which is, who's your money on, Seamus? Well, obviously David Miliband comes into this campaign as the favourite. I mean, he's backed by most of the media, uh, the establishment, um, the old Blairite uh, machine. Um, they've been planning his campaign for a long time. They tried to put him into power when uh, Labour was in office. Um, and they're up and running first. And so that's why the bookies, I would say, are, uh, are backing him as the most likely uh, outcome. But I, I think that he's going to be hobbled when the campaign really gets going by the fact that he, he has you know, failed to move off the Blairite agenda that he was schooled in in government. I mean, he, you know, in, in his launch, launch of his campaign yesterday, he uses all the Blairite terminology about aspiration and... Uh, deep renewal. Deep renewal. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he is very marked by the fact that he voted for the war in Iraq. Uh, you know, he took a very hawkish position as foreign secretary, uh, even un- during the Bush administration period, and he's very keen on what he would call public service reform, but most uh, Labour supporters experience as privatisation. So I think there's a, a wide space to be occupied by the other candidates uh, if they seize the hour and, uh, and, and, and are able to come up with an attractive package for a new constituency for a winning coalition but, uh, for Labour. But, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. Very long way of not telling us who you'd back. Well, I think it depends on what their um, platforms are. I mean, at the moment, it looks like Ed Balls and Ed Miliband uh, will run, although they haven't yet formally launched their campaigns. Um, from what I understand, John Crudders is toying with the idea but probably won't in the end uh, run. Uh, Andy Burnham's another option. A whole lot of other people have ruled themselves out. Um, so I think it's at the moment it's looking like the two Eds are going to be battling for the main challenger. I think, I think Crudders will run. Johnny. Well, I think the, the, the question of candidates, etc., is the second question. The first question has got to be, uh, what are they looking for? You know, before you talk about the candidates for the job, you need to know what the job is. And Labour has not needs to make it, this is one, sort of the two levels of this. The first one is, are they looking really for a leader of the opposition? Uh, because they don't believe they're going to get in anytime soon, and therefore they need someone who can land punches on the uh, the new coalition? Uh, or are they looking for somebody who is ready to be Prime Minister imminently, perhaps, in, in, a, in an election that could be called very soon. If Labour decides the latter, then David Miliband would indeed be front-runner because he's had senior government experience, etc. And he looks like a plausible uh, immediate Prime Minister. If, on the other hand, they think we're in a long haul here and we need to do the job of opposing, then somebody else, more pugilistic perhaps, may be uh, in, in pole position. And you think about 1997, uh, the Tories went for William Hague, and I think probably now many of them would say they should have realised they were looking for a leader of the opposition, and Ken Clark might have landed more punches on the Blair government at that stage. So they need to decide that. But the deeper point is they have to really, before they get into thinking of candidates, they really have to decide why they lost the election. They have to think deeply about what the new Labour years and period were really all about. And so I would hope that Labour slows this process down uh, and uses all the time it has. September is the deadline. But really use it to think properly. This landscape is now completely different. Mm. And if they choose a leader that could have won the last election... Uh, they will fail. They need to think about how they res- 
respond to this completely new where, and altered landscape. Where do you think that territory is? Well, so uh, this new territory is that you have uh, – well, there's, again, there's two thoughts on this. Either it could be very hopeful for Labour because they are now the sole progressive party. They've got the monopoly on that franchise. This is the Alistair Campbell position, and therefore that, that's one uh, view. The other is that, my word, we could be shut out, Labour could say to themselves – push to the margins because the centre ground is now dominated by this coalition. So they just have to work out what the answer to that question is and then see who plays it better. What was interesting yesterday in Miliband's launch or non-launch, he, he promises his, <laughs> in his typical saying a bit too much way, he promises he'll do his proper launch later. Um, <laughs> but he um, he said that he thought Labour was now the sole progressive party, the Campbell line you're, you're talking about, and could now kind of build a winning, uh, be, be the sole voice for progressives in Britain or whatever. Isn't there a sense that they've got this big coalition thing in the middle of British politics? They need to deal with that and recognise that there might be disparate voices, there might be Greens, all that whole compass agenda that we've mm. talked about on this programme before, of there might be many small tents rather than one big one. Well, certainly because the idea of being, you know, we're the sole progressive party, well, that's quite difficult if this new government, and we know there's gonna, they're going to do plenty, plenty that is not progressive, but if they do a few things that actually progressives have wanted for a long time, the civil liberties agenda is the most obvious example, they, Labour are going have to have to have, think of things that are properly to the left of that. Can, can I just interrupt this progressive love fest and, ju- and just say how, <laughs> how extraordinary it is? I think for everybody in the rest of the world, uh, certainly for probably for the British electorate, to the extent they're paying any attention to Labour at all, which they're not, to see two brothers with extraordinarily strange hair, very strange facial expressions. One worked for the former Prime Minister, Tony Blair. One worked for the former Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. Both had a highly intellectual father, very rooted in the Labour Party tradition, running against each other. It's utterly bizarre, and it makes Labour look like a laughing stock, I think. And they are not putting forward sort of profound, different ideological things. They may in the debate, and I agree completely that they shouldn't rush into this, and there are fundamental things to talk about. But Labour's looking like a little incestuous joke. It's no, it's a fraternal party. It's not a fraternal <laughs> party, Tom. You know that perfectly well. The most interesting candidate of all would be John Crudus, and I think Labour should just be brave and go for him. But do you think he'll stand? Well, I hope so. I don't know. He doesn't tell me. How do you get your backing? <laughs> His reticence is strange. Oh, I'll argue for him in, John, in leader conference. The, I mean, the rest of them, and th- this is a wider point than just Labour, you've got these kind of machine politicians of, of, of different stripes, and then you've got the kind of 42-year-old, whatever they are, Clegg and, Clegg and Cameron. Labour could do very well, couldn't it, Seamus, if it chose someone cut from a different cloth? Well, I think I mean, Julian's put his finger on a, a, on a problem, which is all the main front-runner candidates uh, are all out of the Blairite, Brownite, schismatic world of New Labour, and um, they've got to break free of that. They've got to go beyond New Labour. I mean, he's not quite right about the Miliband family being in the Labour tradition. The Miliband dad <laughs> was, uh, was very anti-Labour. But, um, I, th- I mean, I think what probably will happen if, for example, Ed Miliband runs is that he'll run on a kind of insurgent outsider ticket, uh, trying to be a sort of Nick Clegg or, or, or even Barack Obama character, um, uh, which has its own attractions, but also dangers um, if he runs on a kind of uh, anti-vested interests package, which in, in labour movement terms could risk being seen as an anti-trade union package. But I mean, I think there are, the, the, the real issue is that you know, the party has to move beyond new labour. And, and that's difficult for these people to do because they are creatures of new labour. And it has yeah. to understand why it's lost five million votes, most of them working class what, votes. What, what's not to like about John Crudus? No, I think there's a, a, Crudus is an attractive figure. I mean, the, the, whether, I, I mean, I'm just 
questioning mm. whether, in fact, he will in the end run. I mean, there's a lot of manoeuvring going on at the moment. There's a lot of people looking for arrangements uh, with whoever is likely to win. And and Crudders has certainly been talking to David Miliband a, a lot. Um, he himself has changed his position in the past week on the question of relations with the Lib Dems and uh, and, and the kind of pluralism mm. ideas that Compass is associated with. So I think you know it's a very fluid situation, and we'll see it becoming clearer in the weeks ahead. What would worry me about John Crudders a little bit is your enthusiasm for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to wind you up Ouch, here. What, I thought it was a love fest. What I would worry about is that I think a lot of Tories, I think David Cameron would very much like to run against John yeah. Crudders for the most, in a way, superficial reasons, but, which is he has no ministerial experience. He won't, he'll, he, on, in media terms, he will not look and talk like a pr- prospective prime minister. It will look, the optics, this is totally unfair because he's actually a very, very much more substantial figure. And he this. came up with the best but The optics of, of him will Cameron. be, it's a return to the old left, simply because of the way he talks and looks. But They'll it, say Labour's retreated into its shell in a kind of 1980s way and Cameron will like that. It will be unfair but that will be the media narrative. The crucial thing is he's not been in government and and I think that would count. Clean skin. Well, by this time next week, we may indeed know whether John Crudders is running or not, and Ed Miliband and all the rest of them. It may even be, have been the first resignation of a Cameron government. Who knows? <laughs> Regardless, we'll bring you our thoughts and analysis. And so till then, from me, Tom Clark, And from me, Alex Stratton, and our producer, Francesca Panetta, it is goodbye. Goodbye.